Hi everyone. I trust that you are well and that this has been another week of you experiencing God's grace, whether that's in big or small ways. Today we're continuing a sermon series that we began last week on habits for wholeness or spiritual disciplines. Last week we spoke about two obstacles that can prevent us from becoming like Jesus. Firstly, there's the area of my will. Do I really want to become like Jesus? And we looked at the fact that Jesus as God come in the flesh is someone who is completely competent and capable and trustworthy. It's not a foolish thing to commit my life to Jesus. And secondly, there is the area of my actions. If I want to become like Jesus, there are certain things that I need to do on a regular basis. Becoming like Jesus takes practice. It takes hard work. There are a number of habits that I need to develop. And it's this topic of habits that I'd like us to look at both this week and next week. Today we're going to look at bad habits and next week we'll look at good habits. The passage of scripture that I'd like us to look at today comes from the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, all the way through chapter 6 and verse 10. The book of Galatians has many similarities with the book of Romans, and if you want to look a bit more in depth at what we're looking at today, then the parallel passage in the book of Romans would be Romans chapters 6 and 7. But right now, Galatians chapter 5 and from verse 16, Paul writes, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like— I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. 
Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is God's Word. I came across some laws recently. I'm sure some of you will have come across these as well. We all know Murphy's Law. If anything bad can happen, it will. Well, these are laws that just go to prove that Murphy was an optimist. Let me read them to you. There's Crane's Law. If the shoe fits, it's ugly. Kahn's Law. When all else fails, read the instructions. Herblock's Law. If it's good, they discontinue it. Agnes's Law. Almost everything in life is easier to get into than out of. Carson's Law. The other shopping queue always moves faster. Griffin's Law. Any time you get a mouthful of hot soup, the next thing you do will be wrong. And then there's Cole's Law. Do you know Cole's Law? Cole's Law is thinly sliced cabbage with mayonnaise and carrots. In this passage of scripture, the Apostle Paul gives us a law. In fact, he gives us one law, two fields, and four escape routes. There's probably a lot more that we could look at in these verses too, but that will be enough for today. One law, two fields, and four escape routes. Firstly, in verse 7, Paul gives us a law. It's a law that is vastly different from Crane's law, or Kahn's law, or even Cole's law. It's on the same level as Newton's law of gravity, or Pythagoras' law of triangles. It's a natural law, a physical law, as well as a spiritual law. Paul tells us very clearly in verse 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. This is the law of cause and effect, of action and reaction. It's the law of sowing and reaping. It's an agricultural metaphor. Now, I know very little about farming, but I'm guessing that when a farmer sows mealies, he doesn't say to himself, well, I'll just plant these mealies and see what comes up. He's expecting mealies. If potatoes come out, then there is clearly a major problem somewhere. The kind of harvest you get is determined by the seed that you sow. If you sow barley, you get barley. You can't change your mind halfway through. If you sow sunflowers, you reap sunflowers. One Bible commentator also points out that good seed will give you a good crop and bad seed will give you a bad crop. Also, if you sow a lot of seed, you will get a bigger crop, 
and if you sow a little seed, you will get a smaller crop. And so putting those three together, we can say that if a farmer wants a bumper crop of mealies, he must sow the right seed, he must sow good seed, and he must sow a lot of seed. Only then can he expect a good crop. And what is true of farming is true of our lives. Whatever we sow, we reap. It's not the reapers who determine what kind of harvest you're going to get. It's the sowers. If we sow a certain activity, we will reap the results of that activity. This law is stated in a couple of other places in the Bible too. The book of Job tells us in chapter 4 and verse 8 that those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. The prophet Hosea spoke about the evil people in his day, and he said this in chapter 8 and verse 7, They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The book of Proverbs says in chapter 22 and verse 8, He who sows wickedness reaps trouble. It's a physical, natural, spiritual law. You reap what you sow. This is such an important law that Paul prefaces it with both a command and a statement. Look at it again. Firstly, he commands, do not be deceived. You would never jump out of an aeroplane without a parachute and say, well, I'll just chance it today. I'll take a chance that the law of gravity won't be operating today. You'd never do that. And in the same way, Paul says, don't deceive yourself. Don't think that you can get away from this law. Don't think that somehow you alone are the exception. What you sow, you reap. And secondly, Paul states, God cannot be mocked. In other words, it's possible for us to fool others. It's possible for us to fool ourselves. But it's not possible for us to fool God. What I sow, I reap. But Paul goes on in these verses and he speaks about two fields, two fields into which we can sow. He says in verse 8, The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. There are two areas where I can sow. I can sow to my sinful nature or I can sow to the Spirit. And that's actually a really important thing to recognize. The fact of the matter is that if I am a Christian, there are two natures living within me. This is so important to know. You see, when I become a Christian, my old sinful nature doesn't just disappear. My old habits, my old thought patterns, my old desires, they don't simply vanish. The difference is that I can choose to ignore them. Before I was a Christian, I didn't have a choice. But now that I am a Christian, at least I have an opportunity to ignore my sinful nature. But that old nature is still there. C.S. Lewis wrote a wonderful book called The Screwtape Letters. It's quite an old book now and not as popular as some of our modern Christian fiction. But it's a very important book. The book consists of imaginary letters from a senior devil, Screwtape, to his nephew, Wormwood, who is a junior devil. Right at the beginning of the book, the human who Wormwood is supposed to be looking after, they call him the patient, 
this human becomes a Christian. And Screwtape writes this to his nephew. My dear Wormwood, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. Do not indulge the hope that you will escape the usual penalties. In the meantime, we must make the best of the situation. There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favour. I still have a sinful nature, and so as a Christian there is a civil war going on inside of me. Paul speaks about this in verse 17 of chapter 5. Have a look at it again. Paul says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. So there are these two natures within me, two fields, and I can choose into which field I will sow. I could choose to sow into the field of the spirit. In his commentary on these verses, Pastor John Stott points out that to sow to the spirit is the same as to set the mind on the spirit, Romans chapter 8, and to walk by the spirit, as Paul says here in Galatians 5. So the seeds we sow are our thoughts and deeds. We are to seek and to set our minds on the things of God, things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. By the books that we read, the company we keep, and the leisure occupations we pursue, we can be sowing to the Spirit. Then we're to foster disciplined habits of devotion in private and in public, in daily prayer and Bible reading, and in worship with the Lord's people on the Lord's day. All this is sowing to the Spirit. And when we sow to the Spirit, Paul says that we reap eternal life, not just life in heaven, but a quality of life right here and now that is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice that these are not things that we primarily sow, although it's possible to grow in those things. These are things that we reap by constantly being in touch and listening to and obeying the Spirit's still, small voice within us, speaking to us and prompting us. So I can sow to the Spirit, or, Paul says, I can sow to the flesh. I can sow to my sinful nature. Chapter 5 and verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Paul mentions a number of different behaviours there, but probably the thing that characterises all of these is the fourth behaviour that he mentions, idolatry. Idolatry is seeking to find my identity, my sense of meaning, my purpose in life, my satisfaction, my enjoyment in things or people that are not God. These things become replacements for God in my life. These things can never satisfy. 
but these things can very easily become habits. You see, whatever I do consistently will become a habit. Whatever I do on a regular basis will become a habit. And actually, there isn't any great mystery about what is likely to happen in our lives. If you want to know what is going to happen in a person's life, if you want to know what is going to happen in your life, then look at your habits. What do I do on a regular basis? Because what I practice is what I become. What you are or will be at the age of 70 is what you are or were at the age of 35, only twice so. How could it be any different? What I practice as a habit, I become really, really good at. If I practice something for 35 years, then I'll become really, really good at that. I'll become an expert at that. And the problem is that my habits can so easily become addictions. I start off doing something, and I have control over it, but after a while it starts controlling me. Remember several years ago reading a definition of addiction from a family therapist, Craig Nacken, who, as far as I know, doesn't write from a Christian perspective, and yet defines addiction like this. Addiction is a condition in which people believe in and seek spiritual connection through objects and behaviours that can only produce temporary sensations. These repeated vain attempts to connect with the divine produce hopelessness, fear and grieving that further alienate the addict from spirituality and humanity. Our addictions are idolatry, searching for God but in all the wrong places. We become like the prodigal son. We leave our heavenly father who says to us, you are my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter, with you I'm well pleased. We leave that voice and we go and try and find unconditional love somewhere else in a foreign country. But we don't find unconditional love anywhere else except in God. And so we'll always be in pain in a foreign country. And in order to ease our pain, we take a drink or look at pornography or go and spend money or read a book or any number of things, and we feel better for a moment. But then we feel guilty, we feel isolated, we feel pain. And so we do the same thing to ease our pain, and the whole cycle gets repeated. In other words, we reap what we sow. And some of us get stuck there for weeks, for months. For years. Sometimes our habits involve substances like alcohol or drugs which just compound our problem because then there's a physical addiction as well as our mental habit. But sometimes our habits are socially acceptable and so we don't even realize we're in trouble. It's also possible for us to deceive ourselves and say, I don't have a problem. Other people have a problem. I'm fine. But remember the rule. We reap what we sow. Chapter 6 and verse 8, whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Not only in the life to come, but even now. I mentioned C.S. Lewis a moment ago. In another book and another context, he wrote these sobering words. Every time you make a choice, 
you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long you are slowly turning the central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Either a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence and eternal loneliness. Each of us, at each moment, is progressing to the one state or the other. Well, what can we do to break the bad habits in our lives? What can we do to stop sowing to the sinful nature and start sowing to the spirit? There are probably a number of things, but I believe that in these verses, Paul gives us four escape routes. Firstly, there's the escape route of humility. Paul speaks about humility in two places in this passage. In verse 26 of chapter 5, he says, Let us not become conceited. And secondly, in verse 3 of chapter 6, he says, If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. One of the key ways in which we can break bad habits in our lives is through humility. Just recognizing that we have a sinful, fallen nature and that our natural tendency is just to drift or actively run down that road. Every now and again, you'll hear about a pastor who runs off with his church secretary or runs off with the church money. And the agonizing question for those left behind is always, why? Why did this happen? Agnes Sanford, in one of her books, answers that question so well. She says that in many cases, the minister did not remember that he was dust, as God most mercifully does. The minister failed to take into account his shadow side. This shadow side, which for a while wanted to forget all about God and just play golf. I have a shadow side. And so do you. To use Paul's words, it's the end result of sowing to our sinful nature. In one of his books, John Ortberg describes our shadow side like this. Just as we all have a mission, a way of contributing to God's kingdom that we were designed and gifted for, we also have what might be called a shadow mission. My shadow mission is what I will do with my life if I drift on autopilot. It consists of the activities toward which I will gravitate if I allow my natural temptations and selfishness to take over. Everybody has a shadow mission. And so two things here. Firstly, I need humility. I need to acknowledge that I do have a shadow side. Some of you will know that that is the first step in the Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step program. We admitted we were powerless, in this case over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. 
That honesty, I believe, is the beginning of wisdom. And secondly, it's helpful to keep in mind the end result of going down that path. I need to name to myself all the consequences. And then I need to say, I'm not that, and I don't want to become that. In fact, Paul uses an even stronger image than that in verse 24 of chapter 5. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. In other words, I don't pander to my sinful nature. I don't cosset it or cuddle it or stroke it. I crucify it. The first escape route then, humility. The second escape route to getting out of bad habits is honesty. I believe that that is what Paul is speaking about in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The problem with bad habits is that they often isolate us. Remember our definition of addiction that we looked at earlier. We get addicted to an object or a behavior, and our addictions isolate us from other people. And so one of the steps in breaking an addiction is coming out into the light and telling just one other human being what's really going on inside of us. Again, the Alcoholics Anonymous movement recognizes this. Step five of their program, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Long before AA came up with that step, though, God said this to us through the Apostle James, James chapter 5 and verse 16, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Notice the mutuality of that too. Confess your sins to one another. You see, one of our problems is that we all look so good on the outside that we tend to think to ourselves, I'm the only one who has problems. Everyone else has it all together. I can't tell anyone about this. But true community takes place when we stop hiding and start being honest and open with one another and discover that we're all in this together. A third escape route from bad habits and addictions is to develop good habits. That's going to be our focus for next week, so we won't deal with it in great detail now. But in verses 9 and 10, Paul writes, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You see, we got to where we are today, for good or bad, by a lot of practice and repeated action. We didn't just suddenly become the people we are. We've practiced very hard to get like this. And that's not just how we get where we are, but it's exactly how we get to somewhere else by practicing. I find it interesting that Paul tells us not to grow weary in doing good, which presumes that doing good is hard work. If it doesn't hurt, then you're not doing it right. But finally, and most importantly of all, we escape from bad habits and addictions through relationship. Paul begins this whole section by saying, 
So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. It's our relationship with God through Jesus Christ in the power and joy of the Holy Spirit that allows us to overcome our sinful nature. If you just take the last escape route on its own, I will try harder to develop good habits, you'll never get it right. But if you develop a genuine, deep, intimate relationship with God, that will displace the bad habits and addictions in your life. There's all the difference in the world between rules and relationship. In fact, Paul says here in verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. It's not rules that I'm wanting to obey. It's a person I'm wanting to follow. I've used this illustration before, but I think it's a helpful one. Imagine a young man called John sitting in his bedroom, madly studying for his grade 8 French test to be held the next morning. It's 11 o'clock at night, and he's spent the last 20 minutes trying to conjugate French verbs, and he is totally fed up. He hates French. He hates his French teacher. He doesn't want to see another French verb as long as he lives, and he makes his feelings perfectly clear to his father, who pokes his head around the bedroom door to see how he's getting on. Needless to say, at the end of grade nine, John drops French as quick as a hot baguette and never gives it another moment's thought ever again. Until six years later, at the age of 22, John is busy completing his master's degree at UCT and he goes to a party where some of his friends introduce him to Antoinette, who is visiting South Africa for a month from France. Antoinette is beautiful. She has the most wonderful personality. She is the woman that John has been looking for his entire life, and she can hardly speak a word of English. John goes back home, goes into the garage, goes through dusty cardboard box after dusty cardboard box until eventually he finds his grade 8 French-English dictionary and grammar book, and he spends the rest of the evening conjugating French verbs. Same person. Same bedroom. Same French verbs, but all the difference in the world between those two study sessions. Why? Because of a desire for relationship. Did you notice in verse 8 of chapter 6, Paul spoke about sowing to please the Spirit. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Do you realize what an immense privilege that is? that I can live out my life in such a way that it brings a smile to the face of God because I've become in some measure the man that he created me to be. When I understand that Jesus loves me and has died for my sin on the cross and declares me to be righteous in his sight, then I want to know him and love him back and try to become the person he says that I am. Live by, with for the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So just those three things then today. One law, what you sow, you reap. Two fields, we can sow to our sinful nature, or we can sow to the Spirit. Four escape routes, we can sow to the Spirit through humility, through honesty, through good habits, and most of all, through a living relationship with the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
In John chapter 8, Jesus said these words, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. May God grant that that might be true in our lives in the week that lies ahead. Amen.